Hello, welcome to Cherry Beckert's GovCon podcast, where we discuss current government contracting trends, compliance matters, and best practices to guide federal contractors forward. My name is Eric Poppy. I'm a senior manager with Cherry Beckert within our government contract services group. And with me today is Brendan Holleran, um, from our also a colleague from our government contract services group. Um, so Brendan, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Eric. Glad to be here. So today we're going to be talking about teaming best practices. And Brendan, I know that we field a lot of questions all the time about, you know, subcontracting arrangements and JVs and partnerships and who has the responsibility to what. Um, and, you know, just recently with us coming back from the National 8A conference, um, I feel like we've had even more of an uptick with these questions. But, you know, we don't just uh, help out small businesses with this, but also large businesses have questions about this, too. Uh, and so I know you and I were talking and that this would be a, you know, teaming, teaming arrangements, um, subcontracts or JVs, um, you know, as examples, it's just a good topic to talk through in general. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, it really obviously is a, you know, high priority and, um, topic of interest for small business, but, um, you know, uh, mid-size and, and large companies are, are really uh, very active in uh, in utilizing these um, arrangements. And, you know, I think we've gotten, you know, just a, a whole host of different types of, you know, inquiries and questions working with our clients about, you know, what's the best approach, you know, for a particular, you know, opportunity they've identified. Um, you know, it's the first time they've had this, uh, you know, a joint venture or a meta-protege agreement in place, and it's the first time that they're actually going to bid with it. Um, you know, even though they've had it for a while. So, you know, it really is just kind of a, you know, a continuing, um, you know, high priority for many folks who are looking to get um, into some other opportunities and, and really kind of expand, you know, some of their contract base. That's a very good point. And, you know, I will state that if anyone in particular is interested in learning more about um, the all small mentor protege agreements. There is a podcast series on our website that has a lot of that that series that's um, currently ongoing right now. And then also there's a lot of information on just teaming in general there. But you know, to to start off, Brendan, and going back to your point, um, these these teaming opportunities is a great way to enter into new agencies to gain past performance. Um, do you want to just kind of hit on real quick? You know, what are some of the main reasons of why uh, a company might look into teaming arrangements? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and there's, you know, certainly probably many more than we'll cover here, but, you know, some of the key ones obviously are, you know, kind of um, enhancing, you know, technical expertise and resources, um, you know, where there may be a particular statement of work um, that a contractor, you know, has, um, you know, a strong offering for a portion of that, you know, can they find, um, you know, a t you know, a teammate, to that would really round that out and, and provide them a really good uh, technical evaluation um, proposition. Um, again, you mentioned past performance is such a uh, critical part of, um, you know, you know, particularly, you know, larger source selections and really, you know, gaining, um, you know, some of that additional past performance um, is, is really critical for, you know, for a strong proposal. And, you know, and that goes, you know, both ways. I mean, I, I'd say that some of the smaller businesses, um, you know, that are entering these agreements are really looking to, you know, looking for ways to get that past performance where they just, you know, they haven't, you know, been around or they haven't had enough, um, 
enough contracts to really have that. Um, so it's really a great opportunity for them to leverage that from their teammate. Um, and then, as you said, you know, it's really just, you know, that access point, you know, is it where, you know, a, a company's at a point where they feel like they can perform on a larger contract, but they really need to have, um, you know, kind of be able to demonstrate the additional resource expertise, um, you know, of a of a teammate to really make that a, you know, a viable um, option for them. And then there's other factors, you know, you know, things that, um, you know, can they um, build that into, you know, small business plan and, you know, how does that kind of teaming with, um, you know, perhaps in a subcontractor arrangement, you know, can that kind of help their, um, you know, some of their um, small business goals and, you know, really help to round that out as well. And, and from a competitive standpoint, too, sometimes not just the teaming and using your small business, but just from if depending on your rate structure and your in your contract mix and, you know, how do you apply your different rates and uh, to to the different cost elements? So that's another another aspect, too. Yeah, very much so. And, and it's interesting, too, because, um, you know, I think that, you know, some companies, um, you know, in, in certain fields where there's only, you know, a limited number of, you know, potentially responsible offers, you know, it's a way to, um, you know, kind of share resources. And in some cases, you know, I won't say limit competition, but to certainly join forces and, you know, um, you know, and see, you know, how you can build that strong, you know, the strongest team possible to uh, to compete there. Yeah, no, it's definitely can help out when <clears throat> going after new work. Uh, so a lot of times we get questions around, you know, the different types of teaming arrangements and should we do a JV? Should it be more of a subcontract arrangement? You know, is it a JV that then you're subcontracting back to the two partners? Like just, you know, kind of a roundabout way. And, you know, you can have populated JVs versus unpopulated JVs. But can you... Um, just kind of hit real quick on, you know, what's the difference between a subcontract versus the other types of teaming arrangements? Yeah, I mean, you know, in, in basic terms, you know, FAR 9.6 really, you know, kind of spells out two different types. So, I mean, you've got, um, you know, where two companies really are joining, um, you know, for a joint venture or partnership. Um, and so really that that arrangement is the, you know, is the prime to the government. And then you also may have an arrangement that's more, you know, of a subcontract arrangement where, you know, one of them is going to be the prime. And then there's, you know, some, um, you know, hopefully some, you know, details spelled out as to, you know, the intent of what that um, subcontract would be. So those are, you know, really just the two, you know, kind of primary things spelled out in FAR and, you know, GSA, you know, goes on, you know, in terms of their, you know, contractor teaming agreements or CTA in terms of not really necessarily forming, you know, a separate, you know, entity, you know, to do so, but that they can actually, you know, kind of join their schedules to, you know, provide a, an offering or solution to a, to a government uh, customer. So, you know, in, in very basic terms, those are, um, you know, kind of the, the key, um, the key types. And, but as you mentioned, there's certainly different, um, you know, different ways that they evolve in terms of, you know, um, joint venture and is it populated, unpopulated, is it a mentor protege? And those are all, um, you know, certainly you know have their caveats and and um and benefits depending on you know what the what the company's trying to achieve well and i know um you have the 
FAR section 52-244 that outlines a lot of the requirements of subcontracts, and then that's, you know, as prescribed by um, FAR part 44, that goes into that too, and, um, and the, the definition of a subcontract is definitely very broad too, um, you know, and to, to kind of paraphrase, it's almost like any type of work that you do with the government that you're, has someone else do for you to help is, could be considered a subcontract. So I think understanding those different types of contractual agreements, bringing legal counsel when necessary to help draft the teaming agreements to the, uh, if you have a JV agreement to uh, the subcontract itself to make sure everything is, um, you know, all T's are crossed and I's are dotted is, is huge. Um, so. Yeah, very much so. And, and I think, um, you know, and, and it may vary, you know, by, you know, you know, particular opportunity or RFP, but there certainly um, can be requirements, um, you know, of submitting, you know, what the, you know, <clears throat> what that operating agreement looks like or what the entity agreement looks like so that, you know, the government can actually um, look for consistency with how, you know, how that, um, you know, team or JV is proposing. So, you know, it really, as you stated, Eric, I mean, it's really important to, you know, really get into the details on that and plan forward um, and, and memorialize it, um, you know, how that's going to operate, what the responsibilities are, you know, of each of the team members. And, um, you know, it's just really critical to, you know, spend that time up front, you know, identifying what it what it looks like. And, and, and that, you know, to that point, especially in a JV agreement um, and subcontracts too, but in a JV situation, you're you're going to be tied to that other entity for potentially a, a very long time. So understanding what you're getting into and then also from a teaming standpoint, if you're a subcontract, um, you know, you understanding what their capabilities are, um, understanding and, you know, and, and segueing a little bit into some of the contractual items too, if do you have to Get, if this is a um, already established contract, you have to get consent to subcontract. Um, mm -hmm. And not if you don't have an approved purchasing system, then that is a requirement. Um, but then on top of that, even in an RFP situation, showing subcontractor justification and showing um, you know cost and price analysis if required, and maybe uh, putting some type of negotiation memo in there, but showing mm -hmm. how the costs that are being rolled up is is reasonable is something that even if you're uh, even if it is uh, a solicitation that doesn't have some of those requirements, a lot of times those are still being roped in. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a it's a great point and um, definitely something that, you know, needs to be again, really kind of talked through. I mean, obviously you can make some adjustments, um, you know, you know, if you update the you know agreement or, or amend it, um, you know, but it's it's certainly um, interesting and I think kind of a good point to kind of demonstrate, you know, how, um, you know, you know, how they can be kind of crafted and, and narrowly tailored for, you know, specific pursuit or, you know, particular area is that, you know, many, you know, particularly larger companies are just going to be part of many, you know, such agreements, you know, and, you know, and they'll have many teams that they are a part of, you know, for particular, you know, customer agencies or types of work. So, and those are all very um, scripted for, you know, what, you know, what the particulars that they've identified for that, for that need are. So um, it's not as though they could be a one and done, 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're smaller, you might only be in a you know one or a select view, but um, you know they they really are just um, pretty prolific. Well, and they even go to a point where you're they're disclosing and trying to protect intellectual property potentially, getting into how mm-hmm. you would revise uh, and cover any issues or disputes that might pop up. Um, so the you know having a very specific and well-written agreement, either subcontract or teaming, and have making sure that you have legal yeah. counsel go through that is a lot of times how you can avoid a lot of messes after the fact. Yeah, no, that's a, a great point, Eric. And yeah, and I think, you know, really um, there, there probably is no, you know, single recipe or cookie cutter for, you know, what that agreement should look like. I mean, there's obviously some, you know, critical um, aspects of it, but, you know, really um, crafting that and, you know, doing the due diligence um, at the onset. Um, some of the points you brought up are really good in terms of, you know, <clears throat> intellectual property, you know, between team members, um, you know, and, you know, um, resources, you know, and talent protection, you know, you, you know, you certainly want to, you know, talk through and have those things um, in writing. And I think, you know, an important thing too that um, that we've seen is that there's just a lot of, um, you know, there's been a lot of decisions around the enforceability of some of these, mm-hmm. you know, where they haven't gotten detailed enough and there's not really that clear intent um responsibility and who's going to do what in some cases in you know like a subcontractor agreement that you know you really do have to um you know spend the time up front to to spell that out um you know and, and definitely be very specific um so that you have you know something that that you can really you know lean back on you know during performance or or you know coming up on you know kind of the you know potential term of of that agreement if there is one so to that agreement and to to wrap up a little bit, what are some regulatory items that companies should be aware of or consider when getting into these teaming agreements or into potential subcontracts or, you know, when you're trying to get into a new agency and grow your business or work with a key partner that you think has a lot of growth going forward, you know, but, but what are just some, and some of these, you know, a lot of the, um, responsibilities I feel like fall under when it's more of a subcontractor agreement or su- sorry subcontract arrangement but you know just in your opinion what are some key regulatory items to consider yeah I mean I think you know certainly you know understanding you know what you know some of the basics you know what what is the contract type you know of of you know the pursuit um, or that opportunity um, you know understanding what some of the you know critical um, you know flow downs might be um, you know, is this going to be, as you said, you know, a really kind of a subcontract arrangement and, you know, what are the responsibilities associated with that? You know, whether it's at, you know, potential JV level, subcontracting to, you know, to a team member or, you know, or further on down, um, you know, and what position are they in, um, in terms of, you know, compliance, um, system requirements, you know, could um, certainly could impact purchasing, you know, system and status and their ability to, um, you know, to to actually execute. Um, so those are, you know, a couple of the key, you know, key items I think to, to really look at is, you know, once you put that in place, um, you know, not that you can't, you know, walk back or change, but um, after the fact, but, you know, for a particular award, once you've crafted that, um, you know, proposal, you certainly will, you know, will have needed to, you know, vetted that and, you know, made sure that the parties can, you know, can actually meet the 
um, whether it's a compliance, um, you know, aspect of it, um, and certainly within regulation. Yeah, that's. I, I feel like even if you're not required to have an, a, um, if you're not required to have a approved purchasing system, you know, either from a size standpoint or the type of work you're in or the DFARS clause hasn't been inserted um, or you know, just, you know, for whatever reason, we're starting to see those requirements be pushed down more and more into solicitations. Um, and it can help with scoring if you do have an approved system and you are set up, but a lot of those requirements of subcontract monitoring, selection, negotiation are all components that kind of play into this, so. Yeah, no, and, and you know, and again, you know, seeing who has the ability and the arrangement to actually perform some of the responsibilities, yeah. you know, who's going to be responsible for counting and books and records and billing and, you know, and again, you know, coming back to subcontract performance and monitoring and, you know, all of those aspects, you, you really need to ensure that, you know, as you kind of divvy those up that, you know, the party can actually, um, you know, meet them. Yeah, very true. Um, so I think that's about all the time we have today on this topic. And I do want to state that, you know, please tune into future podcasts um, where we will be talking about purchasing systems and going through the different systems. On top of that, we have put out a, a series on the all small mentor protege uh, program, uh, which is great and goes through the different items to consider from, you know, setup, contractual uh, accounting and so on. So please tune into that and thank you all for listening and have a great day.